Hi, it's Leon Dolan, and my new book, The Marriage Sabbatical, is out now and available everywhere. People Magazine chose it as an April pick of the month, one of the best this week, a hopeful take on commitment, they said, and an innovative story about marriage. Mmm, sounds juicy. The Marriage Sabbatical, out now, available everywhere. Hi, this is Julie. This is Liz. This is Sheila. This is Monica. This is Leanne. We are the Satellite Sisters. You are listening to Satellite Sisters to go. You are listening to Satellite Sisters. It's our Tuesday show because it's Tuesday, February 16th. I'm Leanne Dolan in Pasadena, California, and I'm with my big sister, Julie Dolan, in Dallas, Texas. Julie, how are things there in Texas? It's good, Leanne. Very, very good. And, and I hope the same is true in L.A. It's very hot here. I knew and you were going to say that, Leanne. I'm I, sorry. I, yeah. I, it's like freakishly hot. It's going to be 91 degrees today. That seems wrong. It's 100% wrong, Julie. It's 100% wrong. Uh, So uh, I'm going to try not to dwell on it, but it does lead me to the fact that you came on the show today and you said you're cranky and you're confused. So you're going to explain why those things are both true. I have a whole I'm cranky department, and then I have a whole I'm confused department, and we're going to discuss it, Leanne. Excellent. Um, Well, I have a new slang word then that might describe your state of mind completely, so you're going to want to stay tuned for that and then start using this in everyday conversation. Julie, usually you bring the trends on Tuesday, but I have a couple of trends I want to tell you about. A travel trend oh. and a fashion trend. That's, oh. Don't worry. It's not peasant dresses. <laughs> or prairie dresses. Prairie dresses. <laughs> Thank goodness, because we can't pull that look off. We already discussed that, Leah. (laughs) All right. If you are in and around uh, Austin, Texas, I am going to be there on Thursday, March 3rd. So stay tuned for that. Um, I don't really have any details. So pretty much that's the announcement. (laughs) Just mark your calendar. Mark your calendar. Save the date. Save the date for that. That's good, Leah. And then, of course, the Westminster Kennel Club dog show. Very excited about the big finale today. And I'm going to tell you uh, why. But, Julie, last night, um, were you watching The Bachelor or were you watching the Grammys? Oh, absolutely the Grammys. Because my girl, Adele, was going to be singing, Liam, which we're going to have to talk about. I know. Yes. but And I know you're you're really our Grammy experts. So... What did you think, Liam? What did you, you know, think? What I are thought, some of your I thoughts? thought it was uh, just kind of a dull show. I I missed um, I missed the big gigantic dance pop number. I missed that number. I you mm-hmm. know usually they start off with the bang. We get kind of a production extravaganza, and mm-hmm. I felt like even like the big dance song of the year, "I Can't Feel My Face When I'm With You" by the weekend was sort of repositioned as a ballad. I, I did not go for that. Mm-hmm. So there were a couple of awesome highlights, though. There okay. were there was I mean I think Taylor Swift's album was fantastic, and I think she was a strong start to the show. I would have enjoyed some more dancers on that number. Uh, and then her acceptance speech was exceptional. It now, was, Leanne. Yeah. You know, even before she gave that acceptance speech, just when I was watching her opening number, she's so powerful, strong, feminine. You know, she's just such a great representative of her generation. And as I sat there and watched that opening number, Leanne, I kept thinking about our own next gen, um, the women in our family who are all the same. They're powerful. They're strong. They're feminine. They're they're doing it all. But I also had the thought, 
hey, they are on the shoulders of my generation, of the millions and millions of women that did. <laughs> of course millions. you had that thought. <laughs> yes, I did. Lee. So Taylor, Taylor Swift, you're on my shoulders. That's, that's, that was my big thought because she, she would not be as wonderful and as great as she is if it wasn't for the women who came in front of her. <laughs> All right. But then she made the big, the great, you know, statement at her acceptance speech when uh, she won album of the year that you don't owe your success to anybody else. You need to own your own success. And I and, agree with that. Yes. She could have thanked, she could have thanked my generation. <laughs> okay. So it was, you just, that's your whole issue that your whole generation needs to get over yourselves. <laughs> no, Lee, I you thought, have no idea. You did not have to wear those bow ties. Okay. <laughs> so just don't, you, you don't know the slights. You don't know, you don't know the glass ceilings that we broke through for you and for the Taylor Swifts of the world. But That's I liked, I you know, she's a very powerful artist. She's also yes. a very powerful businesswoman. She stood up to people like iTunes and, and Apple and things like that. And, uh, and I like the fact, I know everybody took it as a direct diss, as they say, to Kanye West for mm -hmm. his lyric, but I thought it was a much broader statement than that. I, you know, which is again, why she's so clever and smart is the idea that you just have to own your own success and uh -huh. uh, don't let anybody take credit for it. I mean, that's something that we've been saying for a long time at Satellite Sisters. You know, you see women constantly in meetings, even, you know, volunteer meetings, organizations giving away the credit for everything to, oh, I couldn't have done it without my team. I couldn't have done it without so-and-so. No, just take the credit and own your own success. So right. I thought uh, I thought she was great, and I did not expect her to thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Okay. So that was a great moment. What are, what yeah. are some of the other uh, great moments for you uh, at this Grammys? You know, I thought the other woman that really represented was Bonnie Raitt. I mean, yeah. and there was a lot of love on social media for Bonnie Raitt, like people who maybe, I don't know, women of Taylor Swift's generation who maybe had missed Bonnie Raitt were like, who's the coolest woman in rock and roll up there? And yes. it was Bonnie Raitt during the BB King, um, during the B.B. King uh, uh, in memoriam tribute, whatever. Uh, I thought she was fantastic. I mean, there were some good voices. I just didn't understand why everyone sang a ballad. That was a bummer. I wanted a little more power uh, for that. I did like the Kendrick Lamar number. My son Colin's a huge fan of Kendrick Lamar's. He actually watched the entire Grammys this year, hoping that Kendrick would unseat Taylor Swift for album of the year. Um, but, you know, they have performed together on her song, Bad Blood. So they're friends because she's friends with everybody. That's clear, except Kanye West. So uh, I did like that Kendrick Lamar number, mainly because it just came alive on stage. Right. I yeah, thought they had a lot of stripped down numbers. Yeah. A, yeah. I yeah. I agree. Yeah, and then and they, they were, had that horrible lighting on Adele. What was up with that? Lady? Everything about that number was terrible. It was I just, I mean, I, my girl Adele. I yeah. just, I, I just that was that was not right. I, I read uh, uh, this morning that she went out and had an In and Out burger after the Grammys because she was so upset with uh, what had happened. That's what I do actually when things upset me. We go right to In and Out. When I have a bad night at karaoke, I head right to carry to In and Out. But everything about that was weird. Why did they have her on that little island? I know. You know? She's like the biggest thing going. And they have her like stuck on that island with that prison light on her. I mean, that was terrible. I know. And then the piano, that was not in the right tune. I understand the mics fell into the piano. 
whatever, but that should never have happened. There was some speculation that the weird guitar you could hear in the back was actually Justin Bieber warming up backstage. So, I mean, it was just all, it was all not good for Adele. And they had hyped that performance so much. So that was part of the problem. I mean, she is Adele. She usually, she usually delivers. So I have no doubt that she'll get back on track somewhere. Um, I have to say I was rooting for Lady Gaga's David Bowie thing. And I thought it was like a frantic Las Vegas review mess. Oh, really? I didn't understand any of it. Like, why did she do 20 David Bowie songs when it started out so well? I would have been happy with two or three great songs well staged. It just felt like it more like an impersonation. I don't know. I didn't understand that. I did not understand the production of that, but she was Lady Gaga and Niles Rogers working on it. So I just, I didn't get that at all. So, uh, it but, didn't bother me. I, you know, I was, I, you know, I like her. I think she is a bold performer and, uh, you know, she was trying to do something that nobody else could do. So I, I am not, I didn't have that same opinion, but you know, that's, uh, I, I, that's just what I think. But the show did miss Rihanna. She had to bail at the last minute. And again, uh-huh. I think she probably would have bought the dancers and the big wow factor number. Cause that's kind of her deal. And when the weekend came out, uh, uh-huh. he was supposed, apparently Lauren Hill, my girl, Lauren Hill, you know, from the nineties was yes. supposed to join him and she bailed at the last moment. So it did feel like his, his number was a little unfinished and apparently that's why, because it okay. was just him doing a, you know, pretty much a long ballad, which was odd. So, uh, but you know, what was, it was, it always is fun to see the Grammys because people wear whatever they want. They mm-hmm. say whatever they want want you know they do whatever they want and speaking of wearing whatever they want can we please break down that leopard print jacket that justin bieber was wearing i mean did he get that at chico's or yeah, what i think I, so man you know it's animal print it's always good right you not wear- a, not on a man yeah you just with the scrunched up scrunch up those sleeves maybe belt it you know that's that's the chico's way yeah i mean that was I'm not really buying the renaissance of uh, Justin Bieber anyway. So the leopard print jacket and then destroying the guitar on the night when they were making such a big deal about music education in schools seemed like a really just a once again. (laughs) He's such a role model for something, Liam. (laughs) I don't know. Good point. I didn't really understand that. And I think my son, uh, my my 18-year-old, really summed up many people's feelings about the Eagles when they came on. You know, and that was supposed to be very moving, but they just all looked really old. And that they was... Did. They did. That was... Yeah. That was, that was another generational moment for yeah. me. And yes, that they, everybody looked really old. Yeah. On stage. Yeah. 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 So... And not that... I mean, it was supposed to be a somber... You know, it was a tribute, so yeah. it was somewhat somber but yeah they looked old and and somber yeah (laughs) mainly mainly just old though (laughs) yes (laughs) but they're the eagles i know that's what i mean like jackson brown i know but he he looked he's had a little work done huh (laughs) i mean i don't know yeah most old people have land that's that's the secret okay well well, it's out. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. Now we can just, you know what I did enjoy though? All the fantastic ads. Like, I don't know why the Super Bowl ads are such a big deal. Cause I thought the ads on the Grammys were about 20 times better. 
they were some in particular that you liked. I loved, you know, Gwen Stefani doing the live music video for Target. That was live. Oh, well, that was, that was was live. Yeah, that was pretty amazing. I liked the one where the woman was during award show season. I think it was for like Verizon or something. She was like at the butcher shop, all dressed up like, oh, that's (laughs) me. (laughs) That was a really funny ad. That was a cute ad. Yeah. The cats smoking. I mean, that's not a funny ad. Like if you smoke, your cats will get cancer. But all the cat video, that (laughs) compilation was hilarious. (laughs) That was very good. And just very thoughtful ads about music and the Sonos ad was beautiful. Yeah, I, I don't know what Sonos ads. I don't know what that is, Leanne, but yeah. I want one. I want to be part <laughs> of what it, whatever was happening in that commercial, in that lifestyle, because it looked just wonderful. Okay. All right. So uh, what the one thing I really did enjoy, though, for the first time ever, the Grammys were live on the West Coast. We usually have them tape delayed. Oh, which, okay. which so. means what happens is uh, that you watch about an hour and a half. And then you, if you go on any kind of social media or computer at all, you see all the winners. So you just go to bed like, oh, well, <laughs> <laughs> so it was really fun to have it live. And then it was all wrapped up at 830. It was fantastic. So uh, I enjoyed it. My husband was out of town. So it meant that it was just Colin and I watching and I didn't have to answer 26 times. Who is that? Who, who is who that? Is that? Yeah. <laughs> who is that? See, in my household with my husband, we don't even ask that question because we know we don't know the answer. <laughs> so, so. Uh, unbelievably, though, much like Monica had some skin in the game in the Super Bowl. Yes. One of my old uh, dad friends was uh, a nominee this year. He is oh. one of the first guys I met. Um, he's sort of friends of friends. He's been a music producer, you know, for 25 years. He moved here to make a dream happen. And um, he wrote and produced uh, the L. King song, X's and O's. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's a catchy song. And also mm-hmm. the Rachel Platt song, um, Fight Song. This is oh, my fight song, that one. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he was nominated and I saw his wife, their picture before the Grammys posted on Facebook. He did not win, but they had an excellent time. And uh, according to Facebook, they also went to In-N-Out after losing their Grammy. <laughs> okay. So apparently it was very That's busy with the, the limos. Cool, <laughs> all the cool people are at In-N-Out Burgers. Okay. All right. So our Grammy right. wrap we up. Need to, we need to move on, Leanne, yeah. to I, I'm going to the I'm cranky department. I have two complaints this week on, okay. for our Tuesday show. And I, and I just want a reading about it. The first one has to do with dogs in the driver's seat. Now, it used to be that occasionally or rarely uh, you would see you would spot a small dog, you know, sitting in the driver's lap, uh, you know, with the window down. And you think, oh, that's so cute. What a cute dog. All right, Leanne, I'm going to I'm going to start legislation here in the state of Texas. I think, of course, it should be a federal law that you don't have dogs in the front seat of the car. So please, people, when you see this, uh, I don't know, bark at the drivers. Do something. OK, this is just <laughs> It's, it's going to, we're going to lead to more crashes and it's going to involve an, an animal now. So that's not right. Okay. This second- I thought you were actually talking about that Subaru ad where the golden retriever is like driving the puppy around. Well, I don't I understand that, that ad. Well, I love that. Oh, I don't like that ad. How is he going to get the puppy out of the car seat? He doesn't have any thumbs. <laughs> I just can't stand that ad. Okay, go ahead. Okay, okay. <laughs> here's the second thing that I'm uh, cranky about. Yeah. And it is what I call PSV. And this is parent, no, yeah, parent-sanctioned vandalism. 
I'm here in my new neighborhood. Uh, one morning, I look out my window, and one of my neighbor's front lawn is covered with the caution tape and those little flags that you buy at Home Depot, you know, that they put all over for landscaping flags, okay? So this, I've seen this, again, all over Dallas. I, I don't know if it's happening in L.A., but these are, these are parents that are going to Home Depot, they're buying uh, caution tape, they're buying these little flags, and then they're driving their underage children over to somebody else's house late at night, and then they're putting all this stuff all in the trees and on the front lawn. Ha, 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 ha. And I, I, I just don't, I mean, it's vandalism, right? I'm with the you. I, I don't the understand tra- this. I had friends that used to do that, like take their kids to quote toilet paper, other people's houses. Yes. I was like, why that? on earth would you do that? It's a pain in the neck to get toilet paper out of a tree. Yes. Yeah. I don't understand it either, Julie. I'm a hundred percent with you on this one. Yes. So I, okay. We're not crazy. Okay. Really? You just, what is, what is the value of that experience? What is it as a parent that you are trying to teach your child in that experience? That's what I want. That's what I want an answer to. Okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. okay. You know, Julie, it sounds like maybe you're a little slangry. <laughs> do, you, do you think you're slangry? What is slangry? Like? Well, it's caught my eye in the latest issue of Health Magazine. It's the word of the month. You know, I think Sheila Dolan coined the phrase hangry. She was yes. certainly an early adopter of so hungry, we're angry. Yes. But now there's another kind of irritability. It's feeling slangry. You're okay. so you've you've you're so sleepy that you're angry. You're <laughs> okay. <laughs> And this okay, isn't... which is different than being crabby, okay? Because I think you're wide awake when you're crabby. But the slang... <laughs> Slangry okay. is you're just all worked up due to a lack of sleep. And apparently okay. this is a real thing. Scientists at Tel Aviv Medical Center studied the brain activity of adults as they tried to memorize numbers superimposed on either unpleasant or neutral images once on a full night's rest and again after being awake for the day. After no sleep... Uh, the area of the brain that processes emotion showed higher levels of activity in response to both types of images. We are not able to regulate our emotional responses without sleep. That's okay. slangry. So slangry. That's an excellent word, Leanne. And um, I am going to put it into um, to play. I mean, yeah. I think I'm going to add that to uh, my daily rotation. Do it. I, yeah. Do it. I think I was slangry from like 2003 to 2006. Yes, you were, Leanne. <laughs> I just, yes. by the end of the day, I was slangry. I was very slangry because I didn't sleep at all. Got no sleep whatsoever. So there you have it, slangry. Okay. Leon, I have a, a second department that I'm bringing to you on this Tuesday. Uh, I, I, as I said, I was cranky and I'm also confused. I have said, this is the confusion department. <laughs> and the first one has to do with, yes, it's that time of year. The Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue came out. Yeah. And you know, since since we've started our podcast 15 years ago, okay, every February, mm-hmm. I mark this time of year with the same plea that what is up with the swimsuits, okay? It has nothing to do with sports. It's just objectifying women. And now it's like this whole industry, you know? I mean, it's not just a magaz- one magazine 
you know, that comes out one week in February. It's, you know, there are videos, there are movies, there are other magazine articles. I understand now that there's some virtual reality Sports Illustrated swimsuit thing that you can get involved into. Which, which is <laughs> I don't just, think you should get involved. In I'm not, not in your I'm current not, condition. No, I don't. No, I'm not, not going to get, get involved. But okay, so my confused. So I'm pretty clear about my uh, position on Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. But this year they had three different covers, and one of the covers uh, they have a model, a plus size model, Ashley Graham mm-hmm. is on the cover. So this is supposed to be good news because we are championing, finally, they are showcasing a different body type, probably a much more realistic body type. Ashley looks beautiful, as far as I can tell from from the photos I've seen about it. But how am I supposed to feel about that? (laughs) I'm confused. I mean, I'm with you, Julie. I'm yeah. still mad at sports. I mean, Ashley is still in a bikini being objectified, <laughs> right. even though we're happy that Ashley is a, is is a, like a normal size. Okay, so what do you think? Uh, here's what I would say about that. Uh, first of all, in general, Sports Illustrated has always put, you know, they are not runway models on the mo- on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Yeah. They've always been models that have had fuller figures. So Ashley has a fuller figure than most. Uh, but, they, you know, and they are still models, okay? She's yes. not an athlete. Now, I understand Ronda Rousey, the fighter, also has one of the covers. They did three different covers this year. The normal skinny model with the big boobs. I'm just yes. going to say it because that's what they usually go with. <laughs> yes. You know? Uh, and she has no top on. Yeah, she's not right. wearing anything. So again, that uh, I think you can still be cranky and still reject this idea. Okay, thank yeah. you. So I I have a subscription to Sports Illustrated, and every year I make a big production of throwing the swimsuit issue away. So I'm looking forward <laughs> to it arriving in my inbox. I don't know how they're divvying up who gets what cover. I don't know. I'm just going to throw it away anyway, Julie. Okay. So uh, if that okay. makes you feel better, I will throw it away. Remember when we talked to Steve Russian, the Sports Illustrated writer, he's like, yeah, I get mad every year, too. I don't know why we do it. We're a sports magazine. So so I think it's okay to still, you know, be angry. Okay. So it's not – it doesn't get them off the hook just because she you know, has, has more curves. Although she is a very pretty girl, I have to say. And when I see her, she seems like a nice young woman. So um, – but you're right. She's still in a bikini, and the rest of the magazine presumably is filled with women in, in bikinis or less than. So I think he can still be angry. Okay. I'm going to stay angry on that. Okay. Now here's the second news story that I'm a little confused about. Um, As you know, um, Oprah um, bought a a large chunk of Weight Watchers and she has become a Weight Watchers spokesperson. She's on the board. She's, you know, and, and I'm cheering this because a, I like Oprah and B, I like Weight Watchers. I did Weight Watchers. I felt like it was really, really effective for me. It's a good program. So, you know, that part of it, I, you know, I have, I'm not confused. Um, but then I read online um, an article posted by Cassie um, or Casey St. Ange, and she's an author, an Emmy nominated comedy writer. Mm-hmm. And she was writing about the Oprah and the Weight Watcher connection. And uh, Casey, um, Casey's point is, again, she loves Oprah. She loves everything that Oprah does. But she is now officially going to give up dieting because because she just just doesn't understand this, that if 
Oprah, who has access to a personal chef. She must have, you know, gyms in these homes that she owns. She has access to personal trainers. If she can't lose weight, you know, how is it that a normal person is going to lose weight? You know, that's, uh, that's her point of view. So, and which leaves me confused about Weight Watchers, about (laughs) Oprah. (laughs) So, I don't know. I don't know what to think, Leon. Well, I I get it because I have no problem with women trying to look healthier and be healthier. And if that involves a diet, a straight up diet or this or that, great. Everybody, I believe, knows what they need to do to get themselves to the point where they're happy with themselves. But I also think at some point we just need to shut up about weight. I just like I hope I I, I feel like I'm at that point now. Uh-huh. Where like whatever my weight is, it's kind of my issue and I don't really need to talk about it all the time. It's not the focus of my life and maybe that's better if it's not the focus of my life. So I do get confused, Julie, when I hear, you know, Oprah say that I'm going to have my best body at 62. You know, no, you're not. Right? Right. <laughs> I mean, hey, come on. you could. She could, Leanne. No, no she's, she's not. I, I know, but even over, I just don't even think that's going to happen. I mean, that just seems to be a denial of the last 40 years of your life. To say, best body, 62. Healthy body, great. Strong body, yeah. You know, physically fit body, great. But best, it's strong. <laughs> strong work. I'm also confused when she says that bread is her joy. Yeah. Really? I mean... You can eat bread on Weight Watchers. I, I know you can. And I I enjoy bread too. But is bread my joy? I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. It just, it seems like kind of a here we go again, except now she's got a steak in it. So yeah, yeah. I'm confused too. So I'm going to, so we're, we're going to stay confused on that one issue. Just, okay. I mean, I just... It seems like a lot. It just, it seems like a lo- I just wouldn't want to be her and having to talk about weight for the rest of my life uh-huh. on a professional or personal level. Like at some point, just, isn't there anything else we can talk about? <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So maybe I'm not Speaking confused. Speaking of slangry. Okay. <laughs> I'm a little slangry about this. I just... I don't know. Feels like there are other worthwhile conversations to have. Okay. Health is one thing, but the straight up best body of your life? Nah, I'm not so sure about that. All right, Julie, here's here's one thing we can talk about uh, that I think maybe we can get on board with. I have no personal stake in this and um, and bread is not my joy. It is something called capsule dressing. Okay. And that's not salad dressing. It has to do with what you wear every day. Now I know this week you took Liz through some of the fashion trends and it included shag haircuts, Mm -hmm. slip dresses, which again, it's almost like best body at 62 slip dress at 62. (laughs) No, not so much. Okay. There's a time and a place for that. And it's prairie. Gone. Don't forget the prairie dresses. <laughs> How can I? Because the, when you said Liz should try a prairie dress, that just made me laugh out loud. Liz has never, even if she had to dress up like a prairie girl, she couldn't pull off a prairie dress. <laughs> she wouldn't do that. It's All not right. like she couldn't. She wouldn't. That's <laughs> okay. Yeah. And ruffles. Not no, no, she couldn't yeah. either. I believe, I believe both those things are true. She never would. 
and she never has, but she also couldn't. Um, but this idea of a capsule wardrobe is waking, making its way into the mainstream. And it's essentially this. It's basically getting a uniform and sticking with it and eliminating kind of what you wear every day as a part of your everyday routine. So it is like the Steve Jobs thing. Whoa, whoa, say, say that again. You eliminate what you wear every day? Right. You just put, basically put, have a very small number oh, of okay. pieces okay. So of clothing. The decision making, the decision making yeah. process of what to wear every day. Yeah. Okay, that's, you just, okay, that's, that's it. You just, you have a very small number, a capsule wardrobe, very small number of pieces that you choose from, and you just put those on every day in rotation. So it's not that you're literally wearing the same clothes every day. But it's essentially like you have three pairs of black pants, you have five black T-shirts, you have two black trench coats, or whatever you decide to do, that's your wardrobe. <laughs> but that's a nice, cheery look. Well, you know, he, here are some of the reasons. And this, I saw this article on becomingminimalist.com, uh, okay. uh, a website I go to occasionally, um, even though I'm not minimalist in any way. But I, I aspire some days to that. And it's eight reasons why successful people are choosing to wear the same thing every day. One is fewer decisions. You just, yep. uh, decision fatigue refers to the deteriorating quality of decisions made by an indiv individual after a long session of decision making. All right. So think about that. You know, when you go shopping, when you're slangry yes. <laughs> and then yes. you come home and you're like, why did I buy that? And then you try to wear it and it looks terrible. Right. It's just fewer decisions. You know, the president only has gray suits and blue suits. He said, because I have a lot of decisions to make. So, like, what I'm going to wear shouldn't be one of them. Mark Zuckerberg, same thing. One less frivolous decision in the morning. Less time wasted. You know what I mean? You don't have a lot of time. You don't, you don't waste a lot of time because you only have fewer, a few items of clothing. It also leads to less stress. They quote an art director in New York, and she said that, you know, it, she never has to worry about the question, is this too formal? Is it too out there? Is this dress too short? You know, she said she used to choose a lot of things and regret it as soon as she left her house. And now she just wears a white silk shirt and black trousers, one less source of anxiety during the day. Starting to appeal to you, isn't it? It is, Leah. I know. I, I think that, I think it's, uh, you know, I like the fact that, you know, it's less stuff. You're buying less stuff. Yeah. And that it seems simple, that it's not stressing you out. If you get items that you look good in, you know, if you're stuck in, if you're stuck in <laughs> right. a bad look, it's, it's not so great. Don't, oh. for instance, do not get a Chico's leopard print jacket <laughs> as one of your four items. Unless that's your look. Unless that's your luck. Okay, yeah. less wasted energy. Now, Christopher Nolan, the movie director, okay, all the, the Batman stuff, yes. he, he wears the same thing every day, essentially. He has settled into a narrow lapel jacket over a blue dress shirt, black trousers, and sensible shoes. That's, that, that's what he wears every day. And you probably wouldn't notice that unless you read that. And then you feel really put together. According to a young mom in Dallas, she said she just, she has a really minimal wardrobe. She feels all put together. It's not chaotic. Uh, she thinks the clothes that she bought, are, she looks amazing in, and she feels great in them. And then this is the one I like, iconic. You can create your own iconography, Julie. And oh. I think at 62, that's what Oprah should be doing. <laughs> doing. <laughs> Set of counting points. You think she should... 
Yeah. I mean, Brad is not an iconography on the red carpet. If everybody's in their iconic look, you know, okay. Uh, Well, there are those, you know, how often are you on the red carpet? I mean, most of us are not on the red carpet. I I could totally buy into this. I mean, I think it's, you know, you get a couple good, you get a good color for yourself. Yeah. You know, and then, then people know, oh, well, she's always wearing, you know, a white shirt and black pants. That's what she wears. So you're never overdressed or underdressed, right. which I, you know, I stress about, you know, so uh, that's good. Yeah. I like it. So there you go. I think, I think we should consider this. I feel like I do that when I'm on the book tour. I have like a set of clothing or when I know I'm going to be out and about a lot. Yeah. And then yeah. my real life, I really just wear yoga pants and a sweatshirt every day. It's very iconic. It's not an iconic look though. It's not chic. It's not iconic. It's, it's not, it's not even really attractive, but. uh, (laughs) Okay. Capsule dressing. Capsule dressing. I like it. So there you go. Just think about it. I know, you know, you're, you're paring down. People are paring down. They're looking for a way. It, It almost makes you, you know, more distinguished, not less. So, uh, I think it would be good. Uh, I, I, I can see people embracing that. All right. Here is a travel trend, Julie, that I cannot believe is happening, and I'm very excited about it. I read about it in the New York Times this weekend, uh-huh. and I thought, okay, you know, I, I know I want to go on one of those river cruises, but you do <laughs> if the Viking Jesus. River Cruise doesn't work out, <laughs> this may be the thing for me. All right, so you've heard about trips where you go like hiking or trekking or yes, kayaking. Adventure travel. Yes, adventure, adventure travel. travel. Well, a tiny, tiny sliver of adventure travel, Julie, you know what it is? It's swimming. <laughs> swimming around places. Really? Yes. It's, it has, how exciting is that? That does not sound exciting to me. <laughs> I, I don't want to go, you know, I, I'm... You know, I think you should know a lot about the water you're swimming in. Before well, you, you go swim. with a guide. It's a whole thing. It's like you have, you go with a guide. Sometimes they're actually expert swimmers. They have lifeguards. And instead of, say, taking a ferry around the Greek Isles, you swim. <laughs> Brother. Or like, oh, instead of, you know, taking a plane or the channel between France and England, you're just going to swim the English channel for your vacation. Julie, there's a one day swimming tour of Alcatraz. What kind of vacation is that? It's awesome. Leanne, you you know how many sharks are there? That's why they put Alcatraz there, Leanne. Because of the currents and the cold water and the sharks. You'll never make it around the island, Liam. You know what? I thought it was a really nice idea. Like, okay. I really enjoyed that piece of our trip to the Galapagos. Okay. I mean, we did snorkeling and we saw amazing animals. But I really liked getting in the water every day and swimming around. And then we did an open water swim. I loved that. And I was like, swimming is great. Like, I, you know, you know, you could not pay me to go on a hiking vacation, right? And like, yes. Yes. I, think we've yes. I, I think that's well established. You are, you're a, talk about slangry, you're hangry, you're cranky. You're just downright awful when you're like walking. We're not even on the hike yet. And you, and you, and yet I have gone on many hiking vacations. I feel like my husband owes me at least a swimming vacation, one or two of them. I like it. You just, it's not a breakneck pace. It's not, you know, you're not an Olympic swimmer, but I mean, on a lot of these vacations, you swim uh, like a mile in the morning and a mile in the afternoon. 
So you right, fit. It's reasonable. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they divide them up into abilities. So, you know, if you do want to swim like a, you know, like a shark, you can, you can go do that. <laughs> but if you want to just sort of swim and sightsee, which I thought was just fun, <laughs> you can do that. Okay, Leanne, <laughs> I think you should go on one of these trips and report back. And then, okay? Yeah, places like um, places like everything, Thailand. You can swim in Croatia, Montenegro, Slovenia, uh, the Brit- the British Virgin Islands. I definitely would like to go on the Greek one, though. I looked up a couple. One's called the Big Blue Swim, and they're small tours. You get on a wooden Italian boat, like a 1963 boat, has a foodie twist, so you get to like stop at the local cuisines and eat at Island Tavernas, but then you just swim around. <laughs> Okay. And they say, well, that's what people go on bicycle tours. Yeah. It's the same thing. It's the yeah. same thing. It's a, you're swimming, you're swimming around and I, you're not snorkeling. You're not deep sea diving. You're just swimming. And I, I thought that sounded really relaxing in some of these places. I was excited about it, Julie. All right. I'm happy for you. Okay. Lena. I want you to try it and report back. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Um, now I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I may be traveling to Austin, sort of traveling on my husband's, uh, at my husband's Are you going to be swimming in Lake Austin land? Do I don't it? know. I've never been to Austin. I didn't even oh. know there was a lake there. Yes, Leah. Oh, who knew? Uh, who knew? Um, so uh, I think where I was trying to arrange a meetup or gauging interest in a meetup. So I've had several people contact me. It looks like the best time will be Thursday, March 3rd at night. We don't have a location yet, but Bessie has volunteered to find a location. Um, so we're going to work on that. So stay tuned to our Facebook page or listen here. We'll try to find something by next week. Poor Betsy. She keeps asking me, Liam, where are you staying? And of course, it's my husband's trip and he doesn't, he doesn't know where he's staying. I'm like, to anywhere, do you have any idea? You're going to a conference, but he's been out of town a lot. So I'm trying to nail him down on some details. But just if you're going to be in the Austin area uh, on Thursday, March 3rd, we're going to try to get something together in the early evening. It will probably just be at a restaurant or a bar or something, maybe a brew pub, um, because um, it's too late to get into any bookstores there. Um, but that's the plan. So there you go. Sounds fun, William. Also take tips. I don't, I've never been to Austin, so... He has a conference for a couple days, and then we're just going to spend the weekend a couple nights there. So, I think you're um, going to enjoy it, Liam. Yeah. It's a great place. Yeah, looking forward to music and just wandering around. And, um, of course, because my, <laughs> you know, my husband's family, they, their idea of a vacation is not swimming. I can tell you that. They, <laughs> but they enjoy a presidential library. And they said the LBJ presidential library at the University of Texas is great. So, okay, there you uh, go. I might put that on the list. Or I might just put um, drinking beer and listening to music on the list. Those could be the other. <laughs> I don't know. And then I would highly recommend Lady Bird Johnson has her uh, native wildlife um, gardens there uh, in Austin. Oh. It's spectacular. Oh. I took mom and dad there. Right? Oh. That was one of the last things. Yep. Oh, that's great. Okay. Yeah. That's a good tip. Okay. Okay. But people who live in Austin might have more information. <laughs> they than might. Either, than either your husband's family or me. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right and then uh i know we're gonna get to down abby um and then we're gonna record a separate madam secretary uh but first julie the westminster kennel club dog show i cannot believe it the top dog you know the highly touted potential top dog is a german shepherd named rumor 
I, I know team German shepherd land. Um, I am, I'm going to be glued to the TV tonight rooting for the German shepherd. Okay. Here, here's the deal. German shepherds usually don't win things like this because they're not really show dogs that, you know, they're out saving people's lives. So they can't always, you know, get pretty for the show. So there hasn't been a German shepherd champion in almost a hundred years there at the, at the Westminster Kennel Club show. But this top dog uh, rumor looks to be a real favorite, uh, not only with the judges, but also with the fans. So I am really looking forward to that tonight. For those of you who are new listeners, I was a German Shepherd owner for many years, had two great dogs, uh, lost my German Shepherd about a year ago. And I've, I've been, <laughs> when my husband came home from a business trip Friday, he goes, I really thought there was going to be a dog here when I got home. Like I'm now I'm gearing. I'm trying not to adopt, you know, he's traveling a lot for work. I'm really trying hard not to adopt. And I thought, you do go by the animal shelter. You told me that. I just like to swing by, see, see what's happening there. And I'm allergic to many, many breeds of dogs. Uh Uh, uh, So, but German shepherds are not one of them. So I can't really get any mixes. I can't get any oodles or doodles or poodles. I can't get any of those. Um, But this German shepherd might put me over the edge if he wins (laughs) Westminster. I feel like I should go get one today before the shepherd wins. They're going to go way up land. Yeah. It's hard to find them in the shelters anyway. They go pretty fast. So, uh, but no, I feel like I might want to preemptively adopt this afternoon so that when rumor takes it all home tonight, um, you know, I'm, I'm out in the head of the curve, but I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. Me too, Liam. Anything else going on there, Julie, before we get to Downton Abbey? I think we're ready to go to Downton Abbey, Lynn. <laughs> okay. All right. We're going to take a short break, and when we get back, Downton Gabby, our recap of this week's Downton Abbey. Listening to Satellite Sisters, this is Downton Gabby, our weekly recap of the latest Downton Abbey episode. It's final season of Downton Abbey, and this week, oh, crash and burn. Sadly, sadly, there were some uh, some tragedies at Downton Abbey. I'm Leon Dolan in Pasadena, California. I'm with my sister Julie Dolan in Dallas, Texas. We're two of the five Satellite Sisters. For more about Satellite Sisters and more of our podcasts, you can go to SatelliteSisters.com. Julie, this episode, I mean, they're really bringing out a lot of stuff happening in this last season. They're kind of wrapping up a lot of storylines. And this one actually had a lot of action, didn't you think? It did, Leon. I Well, first of all, car racing, that they have, that this is sort of, I guess, the at the beginning of when this became a big rage and very fashionable for, you know, for the upper class to go uh, and drive fancy cars and watch car races. Uh, but I was surprised they had a car crash, Leanne. I was surprised too. Well, you know, the brilliant satellite sisterhood saw this coming. They, from the second that Henry Talbot showed up on the scene, they said, well, Mary's never going to go for him because Matthew died in a car crash, and this is just going to bring up too many issues for her. And that did actually prove to be the case. But we had we had everything in this episode. We had love and heartbreak, friends and enemies, England and France, life and death, pigs and puppies, and we had Lucy and Ethel making a guest <laughs> appearance. All right, so let's just break it down one grouping at a time. Friends and enemies. Okay, we had uh, we had Mary and Edith once again at each other's throats. They are they are really they're the worst sisters <laughs> in the whole world. They cannot sit in that gorgeous drawing room for more than five seconds before they draw blood with each other. Leah, I don't understand. I know it only seems to be getting worse. And I'm like, what do you two have to complain about? I mean, really, just 
take a look around. I know not everything has gone your way, but things could be going much, much worse for the two of you. But yeah, they, they have reached no detente. There is no life lesson that's brought them together. I mean, uh, do you think, do you think there will be any warming as we get to the end of the season? Do you think that these, that the, this show will fade and uh, fade out into the sunset and they'll still be mad at each other, these two sisters. Yeah, like there'll be a, a Jane Austen double wedding, like the Bennett yeah. sisters. No, I don't. <laughs> I don't think a so. A double wedding with Mary and Edith. Oh no, I never. do not think so. I do not think so. All right, on the friends and enemies list, I was surprised to see they were speaking Violet and Isabel. You know, the Dowager Countess and cousin Isabel after their blow up over the hospital last week. Cousin Violet forced off the hospital board by that backstabber, I mean, daughter-in-law, Cora, <laughs> Isabel retaining her position. And yet there they were having tea together, discussing a little wedding invitation that Isabel had received. I thought that was a very warm and charming scene. Like it's the opposite of Mary and Edith. Violet right. and Isabel have found a way to stay friends because they're sort of all they have really. That, I think that's, I think that's the point, Leanne, that they are, you know, they're there of their own generation and that they, you know, they're, they're the only peers that they have so that they, they do, they do enjoy each other's company and they do respect each other. So that was good that they're back together. Cause, and thank, thankfully that they're not screaming at each other about the hospital. Yep. Right. That's as a storyline that seems to have quieted down. Okay. Um, but, uh, but Isabel did, had received a suspicious wedding invitation to Dickie Merton's son's wedding. Now you remember Dickie Merton's son, like ungraciously tore her down at dinner at Downton Abbey uh, when they were meant to be engaged. And so that caused her to break off her engagement. And now we have the daughter-in-law trying to cozy up to uh, cousin Isabel. So she sent uh, Isabel an invitation to the wedding, but the Dowager Countess is all over that. She's going to find out exactly what's happening there. And that was a top notch scene when the Dowager visited. Well, she ambushed this Miss, uh, Miss Crookshank. I mean, she went in unannounced, which, you know, of course, I don't think the Dowager Countess would do. She wouldn't expect uh, people to show up at her house unannounced, but she wanted to have the upper hand there, right? To just have a little conversation. And she was wearing, I thought, a beautiful violet uh, outfit yes. in that scene that I thought really complemented her strategy. And she ambushed her and she got to the real reason why uh, the, the, the next daughter-in-law was really sucking up to Cousin Isabel. It was because she wanted to offload Lord Merton <laughs> to Isabel. Nice, not, yeah. Very nice daughter-in-law. Yeah, she didn't want to. She didn't want to have to contend with some old guy, right? Yeah. She wanted Larry and the house to herself, and that she thought if she could come up with this idea, that uh, that this was the solution. So, you know, she's absolutely right. Not a bad solution, but really not a good deal for cousin Isabel. Seemed right. like she was going to get the short end of that stick every which way, right? Right. And there were just some great lines. It's, you know, if you have recorded this, this is a scene that you might, may want to replay, um, you know, many times to just anytime you need a little dose of courage about what to do and what uh, in, in a tense situation, you can channel uh, the Dowager Council. Countess. Yeah, it was a great scene. And then finally on our friends and enemies list, finally, Mrs. Patmore and Daisy make up. 
Okay, Daisy takes her exams. Things appear to be going well. You know, Mrs. Patmore was trying to be friendly to Daisy's father-in-law who's moved to town, and Daisy was not having any of it last week. But we find out in kind of a throwaway scene, it was a little too pat, I thought. Uh, Daisy's like, oh, yeah, he, I had him all to myself, and hmm, I'm just going to have to learn to share him. Yeah, it's kind of a stupid scene, right? They could have written a little more. Do you? Yeah, think? I could have reached a little bit deeper for that. Uh, but okay. But Mrs. Patmore is very wise. She's wise about relationships. She, you know, she lets things flow off her back. So I'm glad that they're back together because they they have a nice relationship, and I've always admired it in this ep- you know in this series. Yes, they're very sweet. Yeah, Mrs. Patmore in particular is very sweet to Daisy. All right. In the England and France, Violet <laughs> drops the bombshell and she's headed to the south of France because you know what? She's going to tear Cora's face off. I mean, I know, I know, <laughs> I know. She was just, she was still mad, you know? I mean, she just, and she wants to go away until, you know, until all the fury has died, died off and that she can just, the nostalgia takes over. So. That is... I thought that was very self-aware for someone who's not particularly self-aware that she cannot really be on the outs with Robert and his wife, uh, her son, Robert, and you know her daughter-in-law, Cora. So instead, she'll just go to the south of France, What she doesn't want to tell anyone, which is fantastic. Like she yeah. just sneaks off and she makes Isabel drop the bombshell. I loved yeah. it. I loved yeah. it. Well, of course, she told Tom, too, because oh, she yeah. sees Tom as the most sensible. So she gave, she gave all the details of how to contact. But she doesn't really like France at all. So, uh, so, But she'll just cool her heels in the south of France for a month uh, until things improve. But uh, she did leave Robert a going-away gift, and that's in the pigs and puppies category. She left him a puppy. and I, I know. I know. That was a, a funny way to end the show because there had been heartbreak. We'll get to that and everything. But, uh, you know, there's a very mysterious package that Spratt delivers. And we go downstairs and to replace beloved and dearly missed Isis, there's another little yellow lab puppy um, that Robert immediately names Tia, right? Yes. Tia? Teo. 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 Uh, You're the who, Greek scholar, Lance. No, that's Egyptian. Egyptian. That was an Egyptian oh. goddess. So somebody's wife. Uh, yeah. So that's, that was very sweet. And then we had more discussion of the pigs um, because uh, our pig man there, um, the footman, Andy does not know how to read. He doesn't know how to add. And he's afraid to tell uh, Daisy's father-in-law that. So that was kind of a bittersweet scene. I thought. Yes, that was that. I mean, you, you felt his anguish about, not being capable to read and that it, you know, it comes up in all sorts of circumstances, even though his job doesn't require him to read and write, you know, people are asking him to read things and he just can't do it. Yeah. So, so but now he has an offer from the proper schoolmaster. Yes. Uh, not, not Mr. Barrow, which of course made Mr. Barrow feel terrible. I know, I know. <laughs> So the proper schoolmaster is going to teach Andy to read. And in the meantime, uh, speaking of schoolmasters, Mosley, like, he's now going to be a teacher at the school. It's unbelievable. Mosley has a sweet deal, Liam, okay? He just he does. You know, you know, we started with Mosley. He's such a complainer. He was yeah. complained when he got laid off and we complained when he was unemployed. He complained so much he got the job back. And now, but, you know, he has, he's got himself a sweet deal because he knows he's never going to make full butler. Right. So 
he's going to start a new and a much more promising career in education. So good for Mosley. Yes, he he is he is looking right now of all the servants. He appears to be moving into the number one position. Yes. Uh, you know, can we just talk a second? We'll do this all. And then at the end, I, I need to ask you about what's up with Mrs. Pat Moore's B&B. Okay. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, so up next, we have love and heartbreak. Love and heartbreak. All right. Potential romance between Tom and Edith's lady editor. What do you think about that, Julie? She I arrived. Think I think they're perfect. Although she smokes. I wish she wasn't smoking, Leah. <laughs> that... But I know she's a thoroughly modern woman, and I guess that during that that was very modern to smoke. But they seem well suited to each other. And Tom had said, you know, that he had a very unusual background, and he had broken through barriers in the same way that this female editor has broken through barriers. So I think they seem well suited, and I don't think they want to leave Tom just in his three-piece tweed suit, just <laughs> hanging out there, you know. He, well, needs, he needs a he needs a love interest. And well, he seems so, to be in love with Henry a little bit. I mean, come on. Well, who isn't in love with Henry? Raise your <laughs> hand if you're not in love with Henry. I mean, Tom rolling up his sleeves, getting in there, and you know, getting his getting his engine dirty for Henry. I mean, he's just going on and on about Henry. I think now that it's over between Mary and Henry, Tom may move in. I don't know. I don't know. It may, <laughs> that would be a surprising end. <laughs> yes, it would, Liam. All right. In the love and heartbreak category, Edith and Bertie. Uh, Bertie actually pops the question probably at the world's most inopportune time, right, after they've seen a horrible car crash. And yeah. I guess it's a seize the moment kind of thing. And, you know, Bertie proposes to Edith, but not before Bertie has to get off the public bus to go to the races. What is with Bertie and transportation? This is now the second scene where, like, you know, he traveled to Down Abbey and he took the train and nobody picked him up at the train station. So he was walking with his suitcases and Edith had to pick him up. And now he's, like, you know, he's late for the races because he had to take the bus what's up with that i know i mean they have like a hundred cars at their disposal even the servants are on the train everybody gets to the race on time except for birdie okay <laughs> i think it's it's a sign of something liam yeah yeah now uh Bertie pops the question and Edith immediately says, and this wasn't suspicious. Can I bring that strange child from Downton Abbey with me? <laughs> I mean, the one that was asleep in the yeah. bed? Yeah. Can we have her too? Yeah. Yeah. That she's got a real situation now. Yeah. This, this is a big, big situation. Yeah. You know, cause it's all been papered over. There was a solution. You know, Marigold is the ward and she gets to be with her, uh, her child and every, and you know, all the people that need to know, know, and it's, everybody's cool with it. Uh, and now, now she has this, and is she going to keep this as a, a lie, a secret and not tell her new husband about this? I don't know. And he seems he to be truly crazy about her. So yeah. it could be that he just won't matter. I mean, the guy, has, the father of Marigold is gone. He's dead. We think, you know, we think he's dead. And uh, so it's not like it's an ex out there that may come back. I mean, the child is, is fully hers, but she still hasn't told Mary. And now she hasn't told Bertie. And Bertie made it clear he wants his own children. So, um, again, we don't know how old any of these people are. So. <laughs> but, so. but Bertie strikes me kind of as a traditionalist. Yeah. So this this may be just too much to bear. You know, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know whether he's going to go along with this or not. I, I, I can't see. 
Okay. So, and then we so, had Mary and Henry, their big, uh, th- this is their, you know, their big scene. Henry is clearly all in with Mary. He invites the whole family down to the races without telling Mary. He shows up at dinner unannounced because he wants to be near Mary. And there's wonderful flirtation at the races. Mary's visibly nervous, though. She doesn't really want him to race cars. She doesn't want him to watch him. And then, of course, the worst possible, well, the second worst possible thing happens. There is a crash. It's not Henry that dies. It's his friend, Charlie. Henry takes it very hard. Mary takes it very hard. And Henry reaches out, calls her. He's been drinking. He's morose. He wants to go forward with Mary, and Mary shuts him down. I know. Well, Mary, this was as emotional as we've ever seen Mary. Yeah. Yeah, she was... She was all over the place. You know, she was, you know, she's in love with Henry, but afraid to be in love with him. She was, you know, she kept talking about her intestines and her bowel systems watching the uh, the race, <laughs> which I thought was just really, I was surprised and shocked by Mary. Uh, but, but nonetheless, she was, you know, there, we saw a lot of emotion, which I liked in that. Um, and now, but she can't handle it. She can't, uh, she's afraid to love. But then Tom comes uh, and and he sort of, sort of plays like the Oprah character, like you know, <laughs> you know, you got to be, you know, that's what love is all about. It's you're going to be hurt. It's life, you know. You, you know, just encouraging her not to give up on Henry. Not certainly not, you know, in the moment when they've just had this very emotional day. Uh, but uh, I, I don't think Mary's really giving up on Henry. What do you? Think? Oh, you don't? Oh, I do. No, 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 no. Oh, I, I do. You, you do? Yeah. Yeah, well, I do. I mean, I think she, I, I, I think she, she has such strong emotions that, you know, I, you know, she, they, she bottles them up and then they come out. Uh, so I, I think he's going to be able to find a way into her heart. Okay. But Anna planted the seed that, you know, you're not really well suited for one another. And, and I think she just, she was looking for an excuse and this was the excuse. And it was a lot. She did sort of bring up a lot of memories of Matthew sure. and what she'd already been through. And then again, I think Tom is, may move in on Henry so that she, <laughs> she might not have a chance. Oh, so you're rooting for Tom. I, I am okay. I'm rooting for Tom and Henry now. Okay. I think that, okay. I think they're going to. They're a cute couple. Okay. <laughs> okay. So. <laughs> All right. And then finally we have this life and death theme running through the whole running through the whole thing. We just discussed it. But um, you know, something to be something to keep in mind. As the as the season is wrapping up, we're looking at new beginnings and death and all kinds of things. So um, you know, uh, that, that's why that puppy was so symbolic at the end of, of new life. So it was exciting. It was exciting to have the puppy arrive. All right. Now, Julie. The Lucy and Ethel storyline, uh, <laughs> you know, land. right out of like a 1950s sitcom trope, uh, Mrs. Patmore and Mrs. Hughes cook up a way to get back at Carson for Carson's insistence that Mrs. Hughes make them dinner. And um, they, they, Mrs. Patmore puts together a basket of food and Mrs. Hughes fakes a hand injury. And so Mr. Carson has to cook the food. After a long day's work, he has to do what he expects Mrs. Hughes to do perfectly. And he is shocked and stunned and then so exhausted he falls asleep before the apple crumble has even been eaten. And then he is none too happy when she tells him he has to wash up. Oh, yeah, he was shocked. Oh, you have to do the dishes too? Yeah. Yeah. 
It was good, Lynn. It was a very rich scene, and it was, uh, I know it's its not a new new idea, but it worked just brilliantly. Uh, I love it that Mrs. Patmore was involved so much better than some big confrontation or, you know, that this was, this was a way to teach her new husband really, you know, a lesson. Yeah, it was, it was just a classic. It just did make me laugh. I was like, this is like Lucy and Ethel in the middle of this horrific car crash. We also have this happening. It just made me laugh. All right. The other question I want answered, what is happening with Mrs. Patmore's B&B? Now it looked like it was all going well. And then there was a reporter or some sort of police investigator hiding in the bushes, taking photos. What do you think is happening? I think the first guests at the B&B were not really a husband and wife. Okay. I, I think they are not who they okay. you know, uh, appear to be. So okay. I think there's going to be, I, you know, some kind of scandal brewing uh, because uh, they were, they were meeting in for Mrs. Patmore's B&B. And this must be the first B&B uh, in England, right? Cause she's like cooking up the big, a full-on English breakfast for them. And it looked deliciously. So I think that's good. A couple of other observations I had. Um, Baxter, I believe now, is going to borrow one of Mrs. Patmore's kitchen knives. So when she goes, she's going to die or, or you know, the, the man that has been tormenting her is going to, or going to die when they meet at the prison. Oh, I, I just, I just don't even understand why Baxter is, is doing that. I, I can't, I can't get in, in to understand that. So, and Bates, I watched Bates very carefully in this episode. Mm-hmm. You know, he never really makes eye contact with Anna. You know that <laughs> he makes statements, but he's never looking at her, Leon. Something bad is going to happen there. I, I just think something know. bad is going to happen. Yeah. yeah. I'm just worried about that. Yeah. I think these themes of life and death are going to run parallel for the next couple of episodes till we wind this whole thing up. Yeah. I don't think there's a happily ever after for those two. Yeah. I just don't. I just don't. Because they have no part of their marriage has been happily ever after or their yeah. lives prior to that. So, and then the real life story of Brendan Coyle, the actor actually, you know, having his license suspended. Uh, he's apparently been arrested on several DUIs and had a real issue with drinking, which is terrible. So yeah. that yeah. explains why he, he looks terrible in this act, in this actual <laughs> season. You know, he just, he looks, he looks terrible in this. So I don't know. I don't think things are going to end well with them. And I'm and, and Mr. Barrow, I I I don't think things are going to end well with him. He is increasingly isolated. Uh, you know, every scene uh, in this episode was was you know it included some element of people like stopping him, shutting him down. You know, telling him you know he was finished. And I just don't think he can bear anymore. Oh, Julie, that's a dire prediction. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe he needs a puppy too. Yeah. <laughs> Get him a puppy. Get him a puppy. Oh, that's kind of a downer. We ended this down Gabby on a downer note. So let's go back to that cute puppy. Okay. Who's going to make a mess in the drawing room. Okay. But they don't care. They don't care, Leon. He doesn't. He's going to come right upstairs. They have under butlers or maybe it's something for the under butler to do. Uh, So that may be it. Maybe he's going to become a dog trainer, Leon. There. Oh, new career. 
There you go. There you go. All right. We are the Satellite Sisters. You can find more about Satellite Sisters at SatelliteSisters.com. Uh, we do shows every week. We also do a recap of Madam Secretary. So if you've just joined us for Downton Gabby, you will be able to find Madam Secretary also online. Uh, Julie, have a great week. You too, Leanne. And don't forget, call your Satellite Sister.